today's episode is going to be a little different. For the first time ever on Disappearances, we are inviting a family member of a missing person onto the show to discuss the case. Today, I am speaking with my friend, Julie Murray. Like I mentioned last week, Julie is the sister of Maura Murray, who has been missing since 2004. Julie has advocated tirelessly for Maura for years, and no one knows Maura or this case like she does. I hope you find her insight just as valuable as I do. So without further introduction, here is my interview with Julie Murray. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I'd like to start with, you know, uh, what is Mora like? You know, I want to, I want the listeners to get a a more full picture of what she's like, just beyond what they might see in headlines. Yeah. So Mara um, was my little sister. We grew up on the South Shore of Massachusetts in a middle class family, pretty large. We had an older sister, an older brother, and also a younger brother. Um, so. Plenty to do all the time, but what Mara and I focused on mostly was sports. So her and I would battle each other back in in sports and try to beat each other's records and um, really play every and all sports that we could. And that's sort of how we grew up. And it was competitive, but at the same time, if we weren't racing each other, we were definitely each other's number one fan. Um, And it was a pretty cool way to to grow up. And of course, my family was very active. Everyone in the family was athletic and we loved to hike. And so one of the things that we always did growing up was a family vacation up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire. And we would spend one week camping at a campground and hiking and swimming and all the outdoorsy type of stuff, stuff that a middle-class family could afford to do because it doesn't cost that much to get camping equipment and go for a hike. Um, But it was really fulfilling and got to spend a lot of quality time with my siblings and my parents. So we loved to do that. And then typically we'd go up to the White Mountains of New Hampshire one to two times a year. 
uh, and it's definitely a place that was sort of like our second home. And then we, you know, as we progressed and got into high school, uh, Mara and I both ran track. And like I said, we would try to beat each other's records. And Mara was really, really smart. Um, so she was on the National Honor Society. She was taking advanced level courses. She would help me with my homework. And then, you know, she scored very, very high on her standardized testing. So in math on the SATs, Mara scored a 1420, which is almost perfect. And <laughs> that was uh, pretty significant. And um, she made a big splash in the school. Uh, and that uh, allowed her to um, get recruiting letters, not only for athletics, but also for academics. So Mara received recruiting letters from places like Harvard, Brown, and Yale, like really top level colleges. But she decided to follow me uh, to the United States Military Academy at West Point, mostly because I sold her and how great it was. And so she, you know, I was there, I was in my second year and she joined me and the, she loved the physicality part and the academics were no problem, but it was the military side that she didn't take to. And so eventually she decided, hey, this isn't for me. I don't want a career in the army. You know, and, and the military is not for everyone. So she opted to leave uh, before her commitment. Um, at West Point, you attend the first two years, and it's basically a trial period. And after your second year, you get to decide whether it's for you or not. And there's no obligation to leave. So she, she opted to leave. And then she went to the University of Massachusetts. And from there, she decided, I'm going to do a complete 180 and <laughs> join the nursing program. Um, which is a very competitive program, and she excelled in, and she was on the track team, and she made a good group of friends. That's a long way to say, you know, she had a lot going on, a lot going for her. Um, she loved to help people. She had a a smile that would light up a room. Um, she loved to work with people in a nursing home. So my mother was a nurse, and she used to go to the nursing home with my mom sometimes to volunteer, to help out. Uh, so she just loved giving back and helping people. So that's kind of Mara in a nutshell. You know, and the thing is, Julie, like, I feel like I don't hear about those major accomplishments of hers, like the SATs, you know, uh, scoring so highly on that, as well as, you know, these offers from these Ivy League schools. Do you feel like Mora has been depicted fairly in the media? No, I think... Um, Mara's humanity has been stripped away, um, and she's that her story has been co-opted to fit other people's narratives. And so that the person that I knew, uh, I no longer recognize if I were to log on to the internet and read, you know, the Reddit pages and all that about my sister. I don't recognize her. And you know, she, she of course, she had her flaws. I mean, she's human, multidimensional, um, but. Every little aspect of her life and all of her um, decisions, and these are decisions of a 21-year-old college kid, are ruthlessly dissected online, um, and it warps who she actually was. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I know that, you know, a big part of Maura's story was, you know, she went missing right in this era where Facebook was coming to life and social media was becoming a thing. Do you think things would have been different if perhaps uh, social media already existed or didn't exist at all? Well, it's a double-edged sword because the fact that Mara went missing 
the week that Facebook launched should have been a good thing um, because the internet is great for getting mass or reaching mass audiences, getting information out there quickly, spreading awareness. And that's how it was early on in, in Mars' disappearance. The first couple of years, you know, there was forums, um, online forums before we had Reddit. It was called Topics and there was MySpace. And there was all these ways that people could share ideas and information. It only turned negative when people started to get obsessed. Um, and then that's when Mara was dehumanized. Uh, and once the once you dehumanize somebody, it makes it easier to rationalize the exploitation of them. Yeah. And of course, that is something I want to talk about. What do you think it is about Mora's case that creates this obsession in some people? Well, I think it's it's a number of things, but mostly the lack of evidence, the lack of answers. So there's so many gaps in Mara's story that I like to call it a storyteller's dream because you can literally fill in the gaps with whatever narrative you want. And people have become obsessed with with it and with her story and her case. And they, you know, create wild speculation online and they lose sight of the fact it's not supported by any evidence. And they lose sight that we're talking about a real human here. Yeah, I completely agree that there is a disconnect sometimes in hearing these stories and not realizing that there is a real person attached to it as if it's some type of fable or mystery that they need to solve. Um, and I do think that some people are coming from the, you know, from a good place, right? But there are some that I think take it a little too far. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, people have become so obsessed with it that they make it about them. So, you know, like I said before, a lot of times I don't recognize the Mara I read about online. She's unrecognizable to me. And then these people that are obsessed create this alternate universe where Mars is character and, and then they insert themselves and then they become the victim in my little sister's disappearance. And it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, and of course, I do want to talk about how this has affected your family. But before we do that, I want to take a step back and ask, you know, how do you think this shapes Mara's legacy? Well, the... The wild speculation online certainly doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help Mara's legacy, and it certainly doesn't help us get closer to finding her uh, because it's not based in real evidence. It's just wild speculation, like I said. But these people that are obsessed, they they feel like they're helping um, because they've lost their object. They're not objective anymore. So they latch on to a theory and try to make it fit, even if there's no evidence. So in the process of doing that, you know, they dehumanize Mara number one, but part of making their narrative fit um, is to contrive illusions to fit, to fit whatever desired narrative they have. And that means discrediting my family. That means discrediting anyone trying to help. And, you know, it, it leaves these indelible emotional scars on the real humans that are left in the wake of this tragedy. And these scars can't be healed by stealth deleting. Yeah. And let's talk about that. You know, how has, and I feel like it's kind of twofold, right? How has, you know, just Mora being missing affected your family, but also all of this, I don't know how else to put it, kind of weird media coverage around it. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you described it perfectly. It's weird. 
uh, it's weird for me. You know, I grew up with Mara. I know Mara. I, you know, I grew up in the same house. We have, we share the same DNA. We, we have the same parents. Um, and some of the things that are said about my family are just so hurtful and it doesn't get us closer to finding out what happened to Mara. It's sick in a way that some people feel like it's okay to attack the family of a missing woman because, you know, we didn't do something their way or, you know, we're taking back or taking part of the narrative away from them. And, you know, that's not the type of attention that we need. We need people working together for sure. We need media awareness. We need to be saying her name, showing her picture, talking about her. But we need to do it in a way that's ethical, you know, and we need to understand that exploiting her and treating her story and case as entertainment is actually hurting Mara. Yeah, I agree. Has law enforcement ever said anything about all this all this weird media coverage and perhaps any type of allocated resources. Like, I just feel like they have to be burning resources that could be used elsewhere to help Morris Case kind of just trying to field all of this, all of this weird online commotion. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I mean when I say it's hurting Mara in the sense that it's hurting our ability to find her because the state of New Hampshire has a finite amount of resources to spend on cold cases. And Come this February, Mara's case has been cold for 18 years. And if they're going to spend their time chasing down a troll email claiming that he is Mara or she is Mara, it's time that is spent where we're not tracking down real actual leads. And it's so frustrating. And, you know, I push all of the information I get to law enforcement. I, I you know, I I had a conversation with a detective today, in fact, and, you know, I, I asked them that. I said, what can we do about these people that are, have been trolling the case and just creating this fog bank of misinformation seemingly to distract from the investigation? Do we investigate them? Do Is it just a distraction? Is it just, are they doing it just for kicks? Like, it's hard to understand why someone would, would do that. Yeah. I mean, you'd think that they'd be able to get them with something like interfering with an investigation at this point, you know, and behind the scenes, I've I've seen a lot of what you're talking about. I've gotten the emails, I've seen the threads. And to me, it really does feel like interfering with an investigation. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, law enforcement doesn't have time for people creating fake email accounts and creating these personalities online and just creating theories and casting aspersions on anyone that's trying to help. I feel like the people at the heart of the trolling just have these huge egos and they just want this attention. And if we continue to give them that attention, they'll, that, that's their fuel. That's what they thrive on. So what I've tried to do is, you know, stop feeding the trolls with attention, with clicks, with eyeballs, with interaction, engagement. And I've said it many times, engage with victim-centered content. And, you know, I've, I hope content creators are listening to families and loved ones and people that support and volunteer their time and say, listen to us when we say, this is hurting us. We're real living, breathing humans. And the way that you're covering these cases and feeding these 
um, trolls is hurting us. Yeah. I mean, you know, I couldn't agree more, Julie. Um, I I can't with the salacious headlines and trying to pull people into these more salacious aspects of, I mean, they're really just rumors, right? And just honestly, wild conspiracy theories at times. So let's, let's set the record straight. Like what types of things would you like to debunk? What types of things would you like to just set the record straight on and say, these are the facts, this is not true. Like, how can we help you do that? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been accused. My family and I have been accused of like conspiring to create certain narratives. Listen, I want people to know the only narrative and the only thing I'm trying to do is find my missing sister. And I've said it before. I don't I don't have the luxury to discriminate who who can and who cannot help me do that. I don't care who you are. If you can find my sister, you know that's my goal. And so a lot of times my family gets blamed or inextricably linked to transgressions of others, third party people. There's hundreds of thousands of people that advocate for Mara and use Mara's name on a daily basis. And to hold me accountable for any and all of their transgressions is just not fair. And it it doesn't even make sense, actually. But, you know, I've been called or I've been likened to white supremacist. I've been likened to likened to terrorists. You know, it's just beyond the pale, the things that are said about me online. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. Spend spend some time talking to me, getting to know me, getting to know my dad, anybody in my family. And you'll know we don't have a hidden agenda. I am certainly not trying to protect someone that may have harmed my sister actually the complete opposite. And, you know, I've said it so many times, but it doesn't fit the narrative that some people want. And there's really nothing I can do about it. I can only control myself. And I can try to say, hey, if we engage with a little bit more compassion and empathy, we might make some some progress. Uh, But instead, we're just going backwards. I just wanted to ask, like, is there one way or another that you lean? Do you have a theory about Mora's disappearance? Um, Like you said, I think that there's so many open-ended questions there. Like, when I think about what happened to Mora, what could have happened to Mora, my mind goes in a million different directions. Yeah, well, you know, I think there's three main theories. There's three main possibilities. One, she went up to New Hampshire to commit suicide. And I don't really tend to believe that theory because, you know, she did things before she left that wouldn't indicate she was going to commit suicide, such as turn in her homework, email her professor and say, hey, there's a death in the family. I need to be out for a week. She would need to buy that type of time if she was just going to go commit suicide. She also packed her textbooks with her, which would indicate she had the intention of actually doing her schoolwork, which, you know, she was doing very well in. Um, a very difficult nursing program at UMass. And thirdly, if she did commit suicide, where's her body? You know, and there was no footprints found in the snow. So I tend to lean away from that theory. And I guess most importantly on that theory is I knew Mara and that that wasn't her. Nobody in my family thinks that that would even be remotely possible. The second theory is that she was met with foul play. So she went up there, got into the car wreck and accepted a ride from somebody to try to get out of the situation. Perhaps she was drinking and wanted to avoid a DUI and get away. 
Perhaps she wanted to get away from the scene long enough for the police to clear it um, and accepted a ride from someone who did her harm. That's the theory that I lean towards um, the most based on the evidence because her scent was tracked about 150 meters up the road. There was no footprints in the snow. And so the scent dogs couldn't find her scent anymore in the middle of the road, which would indicate she got into a vehicle. And then I guess the third theory is that she started a new life and is living somewhere else. And I tend to disagree with that theory because there's been no credible sightings. Mara's case is one of the most well-known missing person cases in the world. Uh, So it would be hard for her to hide. And I don't think that Mara would leave our family because she loves our parents so much. And, you know, my mom passed away from cancer and now my sister just recently passed away from cancer. And, you know, I don't think Mara would be looking from afar and not be there, especially during those two times with my sister and my mom passing away. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to ask because I feel like, and you know my my thoughts on this, Julie, I feel like nobody knows these cases better than law enforcement and the families. Like it doesn't matter how much research you do, how many court documents you look up, it doesn't matter. People on the outside will never understand what it's like to be on the inside. And like you said, you know Mora, you know, you share the same DNA, you have the same blood. Um, so I really wanted to get your your take on that. So I really appreciate it. I do want to ask, you know, how can people help at this point? Like, I, you know, Maura's story is everywhere, and we know that there are some issues, and we don't want to feed the trolls. How do we correct this narrative? How can listeners of this podcast help? How can everybody just help and focus on Maura? Well, I I have to go back to it, and I sound like a broken record, but consumers of true crime need to engage and consume content that's created that is victim-centered and that has the victim's best interests in mind. Now, if you were to do a search on my sister online right now, you're going to find out all kinds of stuff about her mental health, her sexual history, her eating disorder, you know, stuff that doesn't help us get to what happened to her. And, you know, just because you can report on something doesn't mean that you should. And, you know, you should go in with approach of do no harm. Like, are you, are you, what are you getting out of this? Are you getting clicks? Are you getting attention? Is it salacious? Is it clickbait? And I think consumers know the difference. If it feels slimy, it probably is. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And, you know, I know we've talked about this privately, but, um, you know, consumers drive this market as much as we like to believe that it's content creators or, you know, hosts, personalities, whatever you want to name them. It's the consumers. You know, if the clicks weren't there, if the views weren't there, I fully believe the content would just cease to exist because the demand wouldn't be there. So, you know, it's hard because you want creators to be more ethical and you do want to put the responsibility on them. But I do feel like there is some responsibility on the part of the viewer, the listener, the people who are engaging with this content. Yeah. And I think the the biggest win that families of missing people and tragedies or really anybody trying to get a message across is to get feedback from a consumer that said, hey, I heard you. I heard you on that podcast. And I decided 
that I'm no longer going to consume that salacious coverage of your sister's case. And I want to hear more about her as a person. And I want to hear more about the facts. And that is a huge win. And, you know, I've been receiving messages like that much more frequent in the past, over the past several months and and even the past year. And I think that the true crime space is taking a turn for the better and consumers are putting their foot down and they're, they're done with this victim blaming stuff and exploiting families and victims and, you know, people that are most affected by the tragedies. Because here's the deal. We don't get a choice in this. I don't get to leave this. You know, this, I carry this with me. I can't turn it off. I can't go on a trip and get away from it. I can't close my laptop. It is constantly with me. And it has been for 18 years. And that certainly takes a toll on me and other family members and loved ones. And there are other people out there that can just whip out their tweet tirade and then, you know, go have dinner and or go on a trip. I can't do that. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's like, you know, you think about Thanksgiving dinner. These creators aren't looking in an empty seat saying, Mora should be here, but you are. Yeah, exactly. And and they're not thinking about, okay, I'm going to word this tweet with this way, you know, with these words and surreptitiously intertwine the narrative that I want to push and then close my computer and walk away. Well, on the other end of that is people like me receiving that. And it's hurtful and it has an effect on me and it's emotionally scarring. No, absolutely. I mean, and how does it feel being, you know, basically the spokesperson at this point? I know it hasn't always been that way in Morris' case. I mean, I I know what that pressure feels like, but I just want to ask you, you know, how does it feel? And I guess, how can people make it easier on you? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And I don't have to tell you this, but it's it's like people want things from you. They demand things from you like they're entitled to it. They're not entitled to anything. Yeah, you know, and I don't owe anybody anything other than Mara. Um, and so I'm going to do my best to conduct myself professionally and ethically and, and everyone in my family is doing their best to do the same. But at the end of the day, there's only so much one person can do. It's not like I'm a company. I can't outsource stuff. It's I'm a one woman show. You know, I have help from my, my brothers and my, my dad. He just runs his mouth mostly. Um, but you know, I'm a one-woman show. I don't employ anybody. I can't control anybody. I can't say, hey, some stranger on the internet that's using my sister's name, stop stop using her name in that way. Like, they're going to be like, who are you? No, I'm not. I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, so, you know, there's my locus of control is, is small. Um, and, uh, you know, people feel like this sense of ownership and entitlement to to everything, you know, Law enforcement has shared some bits and, you know, some information that's not public and people are mad at me because I'm not sharing it publicly because I don't want to, you know, damage the investigation. And now that gets twisted and turned and turned into, well, well, Julie's hiding things like she's she's protecting something or and it's just ridiculous. It's not even how it works. Yep. I mean, it always feels like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? It's like if you're too outspoken, what are you doing? And if you're not saying anything, you might sound a little suspicious. And it's like it's so hard because I feel like just 
like anybody else on the internet, these people are only seeing a small snippet of your life. They're only seeing a small snippet of, you know, any victim's family member's life. And for me, I, I think what people didn't see all the time, you know, besides me putting on this very brave face and doing all these interviews were all those after hours, right? It was, okay, I just did an interview and I was really brave and I didn't cry, but then I spent three hours in the bathtub crying. Like, I think that's what people don't see. And just like anybody else in this world, I think a lot of family members, and I don't mean to speak for you, Julie, but I feel like a lot of family members are putting on this, you know, kind of their best face forward for the victim. It's like, you know that if people don't like you, they might not care as much about Mora. I felt that pressure. Do, do you feel that type of pressure? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I call it the hope hang or the media hangover. You know, when I do, yeah, I'm an introvert by nature. So this is way out of my comfort zone to be doing all this, these interviews and stuff. But, you know, I've gotten better at it and more comfortable, but uh, it takes a toll on an introvert for sure. And uh, I used to be a coach and it's the same thing. You know, you've got to give your best and, you know, you give your best and you want to do right by your sister and it takes everything out of you. And then you need like triple the time to recover. That's what people don't understand. Like my my family and friends know because they're like, oh, Julie just did an interview. <laughs> we, we need to like leave her alone for a day. <laughs> um, but it's a very real thing. And it's one of the other sacrifices that advocates make to ensure that these stories stay out there uh, in the public eye. Uh, but it definitely takes a toll. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's part of what I highlight here on disappearances. You know, it's not just about, of course, it's very much about the victim, but also about those that are left behind and how they're affected, because I feel like it's, that's how you capture the full story. I don't think the full story of these people going missing is just the circumstances of them going missing and a few snippets about, you know, what they were like, a few descriptors. I think to really get the full story, you have to dig in there and learn more about the victim, but as well as their family. Um, So I do really appreciate you coming on here and giving us more insight. I know that it's not easy. And before we wrap up, I, of course, as always, want to give you any space to say anything you want, any last words. Do you want to leave us, you know, about Mora, about the investigation, how people can further help? I, I just want to be that kind of a, that springboard for you. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for giving me this platform. I really appreciate it. I know you understand what I'm saying, probably the best, um, definitely more than most. But, you know, the thing that I'd like to reiterate is that while true crime can be entertaining, it is an entertainment for the people that have the most at stake. So the family members, the victim, their loved ones, people advocating for them. So when you're scrolling through on your social media, be critical of, of what you're seeing and what you're clicking because that those clicks and that engagement is what um, signals to the creators, okay, this is okay. I'm going to continue to create this salacious clickbait because it's getting, it's getting the eyeballs that I want. Um, And so if we can shift the narrative to focusing more on the people that have the most at stake and what they're going through and how they they can help, the better we're going to be and the closer we're going to be to getting answers for some of these cold cases because we won't be wasting law enforcement's time running down, you know, troll accounts. So I guess I can't reiterate that enough, but... Yeah, I just can't thank you enough for giving me this platform. Oh, Julie, you know I'll do 
basically anything for you. Um, I'm I'm more than happy to have you on here, and honestly, just to have you as a friend. You know what I mean? It's it's it sounds so cliche and silly sometimes when I say it, but it's it's that club that nobody wants to be a part of. But it's like you don't really know what it's like until you're in it, and um, having somebody that really knows um, is has been really impactful. So I just appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you in general. Um, You're just, you're awesome. And I hope that people will go follow you on social media for the most uh, recent updates about Mora. I think that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the best place for people to get information about Mora's case? Yes. Uh, Let me just touch on what you just said, though. I I think that relationships like ours, where it's forged in trauma and we're in this unique club that nobody wants to be in, makes us connect. The connection is so easy. And the activism that you're doing in the true crime space is, you know, it's paying off and uh, people are seeing you and how you handle things and people are following suit. So I can't thank you enough for that. Um, But yes, uh, thanks to you, I recently started a TikTok. So (laughs) people can follow me there. It's at Mara Murray Missing. And my goal is to get out of the echo chamber that is the Facebook groups and Twitter and reach a larger audience. Um, And it's been very successful so far. And people just want to know more about Mara as a person. And I feel like I'm in the perfect position to, to, to share that. Um, so thank you for giving me that idea. Um, but people can also find me. I am on Twitter at Julie Murray two underscore nine. And I run a website dedicated to Mara, uh, where there's a blog section and pictures and different updates. And that's www.maramurraymissing.org. And I will say that this February is the 18th anniversary of Mara's disappearance. So we'll hold a virtual vigil uh, where people can light a candle and take pictures and hashtag MaraMara18 and post it to social media. And I'll try to uh, share as many of those as I can. Well, you know, I'll be there, Julie. (laughs) Thanks. You know it. And I'm so excited about you joining TikTok. We'll have to go live um, sometime soon and just help the case even more. But again, thank you so much, Julie. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. I have to extend a huge thank you to Julie Murray for coming on the podcast. I know these interviews are not easy, but I am so glad to have been able to have her on. Because like I say every single week, this show isn't just about those who have gone missing. It's also about the effect that disappearance has had on those left behind. Please take a moment to show Julie some love on social media. You can find her on Twitter under juliemurray2 underscore nine, on Instagram under Maura Murray Missing, on TikTok under Maura Murray Missing as well. And her family does have a Facebook group for Maura titled Maura Murray Missing Official Group. So again, please take a moment to go show Julie and her family some love. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Disappearances stars Sarah Turney and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. To hear other stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice.